You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. fall of uh, 2019, uh, before the, the world changed, I sat in a conference room with the other elders uh, of this church, and we were all forced to look at the ugly uh, financial reality of East River Park. We had a uh, gracious financial leader from uh, an area church, and he, he came to review our finances and give us wisdom on how we can move this church forward. So with the spreadsheets full of numbers and scattered across the table, he stopped and he calmly told uh, the leaders of this church, if nothing changes, you're going to miss uh, the church budget this year by about $26,000. And that was a difficult thing for us all to hear. difficult thing for me to hear after being here uh, only a few months and so the church was broke and uh, it wasn't getting better so east river park we didn't walk into the pandemic of 2020 no we we crawled wounded and beat up so how could this church survive in the middle of a crisis How, how could this church Live to fight another day. I've um, I've made a promise to you, and from the very beginning, and I intend on keeping it. I don't have any tricks up my sleeve. Um, I can just be honest. And so, in 2019, this church uh, had no savings, and we were week to week financially at best. I didn't hide that from y'all then, and I'm not hiding that from y'all now. Um, so what was the game plan? What could we possibly do? Um, and we really had no play other than this. Teach the word. Pray. Be faithful to what we have. And then trust God for the future. That was the play. And, and that's our only play moving forward. And as I stand here... Today in 2023, uh, I can confidently say that God has been good and gracious through all of that. Because in 2023, we now have surpassed the yearly budget two years in a row. We now have a savings account that we continue to build to a responsible level. We now have paid off over half of the church debt. So while not perfect... I can confidently say this church is financially healthy and it's just getting healthier every year. That's what happens to a church that teaches the word, prays, stays faithful to what is present, and then just trusts God for the future. God's faithful. And over the past several years, we've made an intentional change about how we talked about this topic of giving. Because one of the sad realities of giving is that people only give at an obligation. Or they honestly, they just don't give at all. They they just give their time. 
because there, there's a need that needs met. They just give their money to meet a budget to keep the lights on. And now while that's true and important, that's not a Bible-saturated, kingdom-motivated way to give. So what you might have heard a lot over the last few years is this line, and we say it by design. We see giving as an act of worship. And we don't say that because it sounds better than, hey, give us your money so I can feed my three kids. We say it because it is biblical and true. Giving is so much more than just meeting a need. Giving is so much more than just meeting a budget. Giving is an overflow of worship. And so since we've been saying that for over two years, I need to show you why it's true from the Word. Because if I can't prove it from the Word, let's just stop saying it. This morning, we're going to start a three-week giving series called Giving as Worship. Write in your notes, and on the screen you'll see the direction for the next three weeks. So time, money, heart, and you might be thinking, cool, I know what week I'm skipping. But I encourage you to stay with us with that. My goal is not to offend you, uh, I promise. When, I, when I'm up here teaching the Word, my goal is never to offend you. My job is to teach the Word. And if the Word offends you, well, then you can take that up with God. So let me prove to you why giving is an act of worship. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 5. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, all of the main passage is in uh, the bulletin. So before we read the text for this morning, let's pray together. <clears throat> God, we humbly come before you in, in, in a prayer of thanksgiving. Knowing that, that you are faithful. And, and there's going to be awesome seasons and there's going to be incredibly difficult seasons in that. But you're faithful in all of it. And you've been faithful to this church. And God, for those that have, that have stuck around through it, that, that have been here since the beginning, have seen it, you are faithful. And so I'm thankful for just the opportunity as we gather together and study your word, that we might understand that worship is, is more than just what we sing, although that is so important. Um, God is everything. So as we as we study First Thessalonians five, God give us wisdom and grace uh, as as we study together. We pray these things in Your Son's name, Amen. <clears throat> Let me read the text and then we'll walk through it together. This is First Thessalonians five. I'll start in verse one. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers. You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a, a thief in the night. While people are saying there, there's peace and, and there's security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep 
as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, well, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Have put on the breastplate of faith and of love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore... Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. So we're going to be in a different main passage the next few weeks. This week, we will focus on 1 Thessalonians. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul, written to the church in Thessalonica. A letter from the Apostle Paul to Thessalonica, a capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. I guess this is just going to be a running theme. There's a map. Um... That will come up, so you can see Thessalonica up there in Macedonia. In the area of around 100,000 people that served a pantheon of false gods, an area full of Egyptian cults, an area of a large Jewish population. And so Paul, writing to the church around A.D. 49 through 51 on a second missionary journey, is writing under the central theme of the return of Christ. The church of Thessalonica has seen loss. Oh yeah, like, sure. Okay, following Christ is difficult. But brothers and sisters in Christ have died. And so this church, it's grieving. And you can see it in his letter in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. So Paul is writing about the return of, of Christ to encourage those that have seen loss. And I, I know we've seen some loss in our day. Loss of jobs, loss of relationships, loss of, of family and friends that we deeply love. The past few years has turned everyone's world upside down and the church is not immune to the sufferings of this present age. It's as if Americans were surprised that following Jesus might be difficult. As if we're surprised that picking up our cross and following Christ might bring suffering into our life rather than removing it. No, we're not immune to loss and hardship and death. The realities of a broken world with broken people and yet Christ will return. That, that's what Paul is discussing at the end of chapter 4. Christ will return, and here's what that will look like. And so at some point, we'll teach through the letter of 1 Thessalonians. But for the sake of today, we're moving into chapter 5. So Paul has just finished this discourse on how Christ will return, and now we'll discuss our responsibility in light of that reality. And so since Christ is going to return, how should you and I spend our time? How should we spend our time knowing that giving is far more than just money? It's our lives. It's how we spend our time each day. It's how we invest our schedules. So how should we spend our time according to chapter 5? Let me give you a few things. Here's point one. We spend our time waiting for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord. Paul begins in verse 1. Now concerning... The times and the seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you. Now, now he doesn't say that because it's not important. 
He says that because he's already written about this topic and they've already learned. It's the same line of thinking of 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 9, where he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So he's already written about this. And they've already learned Now that's them, but I'm curious about us. Because many of us have not been taught about the return of Christ, or if we have, it was some obscure teaching without much Bible, but at baseline understanding, we need to be fully aware that the return of Christ is imminent. Meaning Christ can and will return soon at any time. Alright, so that's not some sort of strange, doomsday, crazy thinking for a believer to believe. That is a biblical reality that has been held tightly throughout Christian history. So let me just prove it from the Word. Look at James 5, verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So the coming of the Lord is at hand. The judge is standing at the door. Then look at 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The end of all things is at hand. And so it's interesting that James and Peter both rebuke this act of grumbling concerning the return of Christ. As if a church full of complainers needs to become a church full of people that are waiting for the Lord to return. For church grumblers and complainers will be silenced by the great judge. He's already at the door. And then look at 1 John 2 verse 18. Children, it's the last hour. The last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So these aren't just the last days. These are the last hours. And you're not some psycho Christian to believe that. You're holding fast to the truth of the word. Christ will return soon. And it has two implications for us concerning chapter 5. So for the unbeliever, verse 2, Christ will return like a thief in the night. Verse 3, Christ will return like sudden labor pains upon a pregnant woman. So for the unbeliever, it's going to be a surprise. So a thief does not call and say, hey, can I stop by later? A thief does not send a text message and say, hey, are you, are y'all home right now or not? For the unbeliever, it'll just be like any other normal day. Their minds are filled with peace and security as if they're fine and settled with life in their future. As if they're at peace with God because honestly they don't even believe there's a God. They're secure in their own wealth because they don't even believe in the riches of heaven. For the unbeliever, it'll be the worst of a surprise visit. 
for they will receive the wrath and judgment of Christ. And at the end of verse 3, it says, they will not escape. The imminent return of Christ is a deadly surprise for the unbeliever, for they do not spend their time waiting for the kingdom to come. They spend their time building their own temporary kingdoms that will be destroyed. And yet, Paul is not writing this to unbelievers. He's writing this to believers in chapter 5. Verse 5 says, We are not children of the darkness. We're children of the light. Of their identity, look at 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Paul is pleading with the believers of Thessalonica and for us today that we spend our time waiting for the Lord because we belong to the Lord. Christ, Christ will not return like a thief in the night. For his children. No, we've been waiting for it. We've been longing for it. And I guess the question is, well, do you? If you're a child of the light, do you even, like, do you even think about Jesus returning? Do I, like, do I even want him to return? I know you want to. Get, I know you want things to get better. I don't think there's a person, regardless of what you believe. I don't think there's a person that's like, "Look, I've had a little too much good things in my life. Would love for things to get worse." I know you want things to get better. I know you want the better job. I know you want your finances to improve. I know you want relationships restored. I know you want to see Carter County thrive. I know you want bad things to stop happening. And the plea from the text is that Christ will come and fix it all for his children. So in those moments where you just thrash around and worry and anxiety over the future, well then spend that time praying and longing for the return of Christ. This is Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Children of God, we spend our time waiting for our blessed hope. We spend our time waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will arrive. He's, look, he's already at the door. He's coming at any moment. And that, that's some really really good news if you're his child how should we spend our time let me give you two we spend our time preparing for the lord preparing for the lord um there's been many mornings i look at our three little children and say all right look um we need to leave here in 10 minutes i'm gonna go get ready you all get what you need to get done so we can leave when I'm done. 
Ten minutes later, I walk out ready to go with the gentle rebuke. I told you all we were leaving. Why don't you all have shoes on? Did you all brush your teeth? And the common answer is no. Um, We were waiting for you. Friends, waiting doesn't mean inaction. Waiting is a time of preparation. So while the children of God wait for the Lord, we don't sit around and do nothing. We don't hide out in our churches or homes until help arrives. No, the day of the Lord is near, and that's a time for preparation. That's what verses 6 through 11 are all about. Verse 6, we're not of the darkness, so we don't sleep. Now, that doesn't mean that, that y'all, that we just stay awake all night and scroll through our phones, laying in bed, and like, is he here? Is the Messiah here? That's weird. We are spiritually awake. It's the running theme throughout the Bible. Matthew 24, verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Luke 21, verse 36. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Romans 13, 11. Besides, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We're not spiritually asleep. We're not spiritually drunk. We're children of the day. And as verse 8 calls us, we belong to the Lord. We belong to the day of the Lord. We are His. So preparation means spending our time putting on, as the text would say, the breastplate of faith and love. Putting on the helmet of salvation. So all of that, throw in our minds... Grew up in church, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. But the preparation isn't just some, like it's not just some metaphor. Um, It's a preparation of practical action. Thinking of faith. Faith is not just some idea. This is Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. The things listed in Hebrews 11.1 1, is rooted in the Word. Not some feeling or emotional or life experience. We are people of the written Word. We spend our time preparing by study Word. We have faith in the assurance of the Word. We have hope in the Word. We have conviction of the Holy Spirit from the Holy Spirit from the Word. So we spend our time putting on the breastplate of faith... By studying the Bible. We read our Bible. Likewise, we spend our time putting on the breastplate of love. Look at First John 3, verse 16. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has world's goods and sees brothers in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Meaning love isn't just an ideology, it's an action. I think we have enough keyboard warriors in this world that pretend like they care by posting things online. 
Loving people goes beyond just running your mouth in person or online. Loving people is action. After all, we don't get to the helmet of hope of salvation without action. For God does not love the world so he can watch it burn. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Christ Jesus. That's the heart of verses 9 through 10. That the worst news, the worst news for unbelievers is not hell. Although we like to teach it that way. The worst news for unbelievers, according to verse 9, is that they're destined to the wrath of God. For hell's nothing but an inconvenience without the wrath of God. And friends, the children of God are not destined to that wrath, for Christ took the wrath of God that we deserved. As mentioned during the Christmas series, Christ came to become our substitute. Romans 5, 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So we're not just saved from hell, we are really saved from God's wrath. We spend a lot of time doing things. I'm not saying we can't enjoy uh, things that, that God has given us. He gives good gifts to His kids, even on this side of eternity. But in, in light of the passage, will how you spend your time matter 10,000 years from now? I mean, what's the point of spending your life gaining the world and then losing your soul? And I'm not going to stand up here and pick apart everyone's schedule. Lord knows I've, I've wasted a lot of my life watching TV, playing video games, doing ridiculous things. And so what I'm saying is that spending your time means preparing for the return of Christ. And that's never wasted time. Reading your Bible, is, it's worth your time. Loving others in action is worth your time. The most enlightened people of our day are not the people that have the most skills or gifts. They're not the most people, they're not the people that have the most historical facts memorized. The most enlightened people are those that know Christ is returning soon. And they're in preparation mode. Those are the smart ones. Spend your time preparing for the Lord. How should we spend our time? Let me give you the last one. Three. We spend our time encouraging one another. We, we land in verse 11. For Paul writes, therefore. So for Christ is returning soon. For Christ will come like a thief in the night. For those that are children of the day. That put on the breastplate. That put on the helmet. For Christ is coming soon for his kids. Therefore. Therefore. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Just as you are doing. When you think of church. Do you think of that? I know a lot of us have had some really strange and hateful church experiences in our life. A lot of us have been taught about the return of Christ uh, as some sort of weapon to get us to behave rather than to actually encourage one another. East River Park 
This is our calling. We spend our time building each other up. Like even when we confront sin in the church, it's not being judgmental. Even when we confront sin in the church, it's purposed for restoration, not tearing someone down. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, doesn't say ignore them, hope it goes away on its own, says should restore him. The spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's the heartbeat of serving in the local church. Sure, we want people to serve where they're gifted. We want people uh, to, to serve where there's ministry needs that need to be filled. But we give our time to serve one another so we can build one another up. That might just change the mindset for all of us. You serve on the worship team so you can encourage one another. You, you serve on the hospitality team, the prayer team, the student team, the children's team, the missions team, the property team, as an elder or as a deacon, so you can encourage one another. Simply, if, if you're giving your time to the local church, your mindset should be to build one another up, or you're just serving to build yourself up. Church is not about you. Church is not about me. It's about Christ and His glory. We give our time to build each other up in Christ. You're either doing that or you're wasting your time in everyone else's. Hebrews 3 verse 12. Take care, brothers. Lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Yeah, so are you spending your time doing that? I mean, just look. At last year, can you honestly say, like, I spent 2022 giving my time to build up brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you can't say that, it's a new year. There is mercy and grace. The Lord... The Lord doesn't need you, but the Lord can use you. The day of the Lord is near. The final hour is here. So how are you spending your time? Uh, Over the Christmas break, um, someone in our family tried to um, punish us by giving our two boys a Spider-Man set that shot out silly string like spider webs, and um, the kids begged me to open it for them. And so each box it came with this it came with this little contraption that went on their wrist um, that connected to the wrist, and then there was uh, each of them had a can of silly string. Took a little too long for me to figure that out, but um, got it all set up, sent them out in the front yard, and uh, I went out to find them both uh, running around like some spider maniacs just shooting a web all over my yard. And um, I kindly told them, boys, boys, when that's gone, like I don't have any extra for y'all. When you, when you shoot out all the webs, I don't have an extra can in the house. So when it's gone, it's gone. And they, they both stopped and looked at each other, you know, pretty disappointed. And there's only one thing you can't get back in this life. 
And that's how you spend your time. No one is going to give you a box of extra time for your birthday. You're not going to find some extra time under garbage in your attic. When it's spent, it's gone. So how will you spend your time? Will you wait for the Lord? Will you prepare for the Lord? Will you encourage one another? If you're, if you're a true worshiper of the Lord, you will. John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father and Spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And so our summary point is this, worship is rooted and how we spend our time. Let us not be too busy to spend time on what really matters in light of eternity. A.W. Tozer, he says it like this, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. So that's why giving, even giving our time, is an act of worship. And if you want to talk about anything after the service or just want someone to pray over you or, or give your life to Christ, we'd love to talk with you. Um, but let's pray and then we'll sing a closing song. Father, uh, we confess that there is not a person here that has just not wasted it. Not that, that we can't enjoy things in this life. Not that we can't spend time enjoying creation and doing fun things. But God, just amusing ourselves to death. Wasting the time that you've given us. And we'll never get it back. God, you're, you're already at the door. And you will return soon. Uh, help, help us. Just convicting uh, for myself, God. Help, help me to wait, to anticipate, to long for your return. To prepare for your return. To not spend my time on silly things and not spend my time sitting in church complaining about things. To build one another up in the faith. To encourage the saints in Christ and in His Word. And so I'm thankful for First Thessalonians 5, uh, for the encouragement and the conviction it gives. And we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.